1: Forever
2: Dog Pop Pop ba da da Nearer by God, that's me. Hello. I've got the Lord Almighty, Ching O the Universe, and this is Godcast! I'm joining you from the Heavenly Studios right next to my lovely sidekick, the youth oriented Joan of Arc. Hello, Joan.
3: Hello, my lord.
2: So much to get to at the top of the show mm-hmm. you know, in Washington this so week. I, I'm so sorry
3: to interrupt. I am not trying to hijack the show. I just have something very exciting to tell you. So, I was lucky enough to speak with Jesus, our producer, earlier. And, um, this I can't I can't even believe this. Um he would like to become more involved in the show and I I think he won't, he might actually speak on air today for the first time.
2: Oh. That's interesting. It's also interesting that he's telling you. Oh, I got than here me. early.
3: I just I'm um just habitually early so we got to chatting, uh, you know.
2: Okay, that's great. I I just uh it's just weird that he didn't ask me, but that's that's great. Jesus, my son, of course. Some of you may have heard of him. He is my, my son and a producer of the show. And I, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm looking at you now. Is it true that you want to have your voice be heard on the show?
1: Uh, yes.
2: <gasps> is there a particular topic you wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, I don't know. Oh, he's, he's just so humble.
2: Well, Jesus, is there anything you want to discuss? I get the sense of something that you have on your mind that you want to discuss now.
1: We'll discuss it later. We'll discuss how, uh, how you just plan. You basically a uh, plan to send me to the earth and kill me. Okay. Thank you for sharing your truth, Jesus.
2: Joan, please. Jesus and I have had this issue for 2000 years now, and this is not something that I really wanted to get into on the show because it's, it's a family thing. Now you've opened up this, this this can of worms, and I have to respond and say, Jesus, I love you. I have always loved you. You are like a me to me, because you are me and also not me. But we discussed it before you even went down to earth. We discussed it in I advance. I didn't
1: know uh, it was going to be with me nailed on wood. It's not true. I didn't know true. that. That's I not- thought, oh, I'll come down, I'll help. I'll make a few speeches tell them who my father is and then everything will be fine and dead.
2: This is the party line he's been sticking to. Oh, oh but the people need to years, hear it's this not, this it's is not true.
3: This is healing for the people.
2: Joe, you're being a bit of a Budinsky here. I, you're being a bit of a Budinsky here. Uh let me let me let me handle this. Okay. Jesus I, I, I'm not going to plead guilty to something I didn't do. You knew the plan. You were going to come down. You were going to grow up. You're going to have a three-year ministry. You were. I thought
1: uh, everyone would eventually uh, start cheering. You know, it would be one of those things. Like at first, they'd Joan, be I've condemning me, this. and then they'd go, know, but uh, oh, you know what? You.
2: Uh, you I don't know.
3: I, I he, got a voice from you. Two are more it alike than you, does. God."
2: I'm well aware a how God alike you are. God me. and I and uh, the Holy Ghost, that we, we I are am literally his son. alike. Well, know, God you know what you put about that? You know what
1: you That's all it's you so had to do was say, oh, Jesus. he's still going. I'm just going to go on forever
2: uh, and an ever idiot? and ever.
1: No. He I know, and actually I, we're is so lucky my son. To and it. and then,
2: people would have said, oh, I, I cannot oh, win. I'm always going to be the bad guy. I'm always going to be the one who sent him down like, well, oh, to, be, him down to be crucified because in his mind, and, uh, it's uh, on me. In put his put mind, I'm the one who like sent him down and he has to die because it's my fault because I hate him. And it never, it never, ever stops. It never stops. Okay. Well, Jesus, as Joan so eloquently said, that is your truth and you've spoken it. And now I would ask you that if you're going to be part of the show, I'd like you to do so in a way that's more convivial, more friendly, more... more more podcast-friendly, more like, oh, we're hanging around, and uh, I'm uh...
3: oh, banter. You want banter?
2: Banter, exactly. I like more banter, like, oh, hey, look who's here.
3: Oh, Jesus, Jesus is a great banterer. Yeah, right. You'll see. You'll see.
2: I'm I'm drinking some uh, some water, and I see Joan there is is drinking a, a Sprite. And uh, what are you drinking there, Jesus?
1: I'm drinking the croix. I drink the croix, which means the cross. You remember that? Do you uh, remember that? Uh, how I was hanging on the cross for hours, bleeding, oh, and they're throwing rocks at me. And you remember you that? I was hanging on La Croix.
2: Well, our show today should be a fine one. Our guest is oh, Lucy Lawless. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. That's that's obviously fantastic. Although I did, I had thought we had. Uh, book Napoleon oh. as our guest. I hate to even ask this question, but let me ask my talent booker slash producer, Jesus, what happened to the booking with Napoleon?
1: Uh, I, he's, he's got an attitude. He, he's always had an attitude. It's like, uh, you know, he's taking over the planet and he feels self-conscious about being short. Sometimes he's a very pleasant guy. You know, you catch him on the right day. He's very pleasant, but other times you don't know the mood he'll slip into.
2: I have to admit, Jesus, for all of our disagreements and our squabbles, man, I love hearing you talk. If I if it weren't for the things that you were saying, if it was just a matter of just the quality of your voice, I I could I could listen to him for a thousand years. I could
3: sleep to that. Oh, and just an, a note to the audience: <laughs> wait till you hear him sing!
2: All right. Well, we're going to move on. Jesus, welcome back to the show. I guess it's it's good to hear your mellifluous, dulcet-toned voice on the show again. And uh, indeed, we'll be hearing you again. I guess uh, every week from now on. Uh, I-
3: maybe. Hmm. Fingers crossed.
2: Next segment, John.
3: Every week, God answers one prayer. This is Prayer of the Week. Prayer of the Week! If you want your prayer answered by God, just leave your prayer in the form of a review, preferably a favorable one, on Apple Podcasts, and maybe you will be lucky enough to have your prayer answered by God. Uh,
2: I want to talk to you about this segment later, Joan, because we may be phasing it out. Even even one prayer a week is, is tough. It's too much for you? It's it's getting to be a lot. I'm as you know. We discussed this a couple weeks ago. I just turned infinity, which is kind of old, and it's just it's a lot of work. You hear
3: billions and billions of prayers every week. I mean, you only it's only one. It's it's just like a nice service. I feel like to provide.
2: Yeah, I.
3: I know you're not a customer service line. I just it's one prayer.
2: It's on for this week, so let's just do it. Go ahead. Just tell me what is this week's prayer, Joe.
3: This week's prayer comes to us from Ray. Dear God, long-time listener, first-time reviewer, and infrequent prayer here. Love the show. Big fan. Parentheses. Hi, Joan. Hi, Ray. Anyways, with the S, that's always weird to me, Daylight Savings Time is the worst. Can you make that go away? Thanks.
2: Well, as you probably and certainly should know, Ray, Daylight Savings Time is not my creation. It's an artificial construct made by Western governments to increase the amount of daylight hours available for people during the working time in spring and summer. It was first implemented by Germany and Austria in 1916. It's now common in most Western nations. So daylight savings time is not something I can change. What I can change and am very much considering changing is time itself as a dimension. We are On a bit of a budget crunch up in heaven, we are trying to save a little bit of shekels here and there. And one thing we're strongly considering is getting rid of one of the four dimensions length, width, space, and time. And the obvious one is time, since the other three go together pretty well. So we may very well, within the next six months, be ending the idea of there being months or years or any length of time. And everything will happen from then on simultaneously. There will be no more cause, there will be no more effect. Everything will occur all at once. It's going to make scheduling more difficult for you. But again, you will at least still have length, width, and height to fall back on. Oh. So if that happens, I will give you a week's notice so you'll have one more week to enjoy the idea of having one more week. Thank you.
3: Well, we, we didn't exactly answer Ray's prayer. Is there anything else we could maybe, you could, you could do for him?
2: Uh, I guess we can send him a t-shirt.
3: Oh.
2: We'll send him a Godcast t-shirt. All we have in stock right now are double XLs. And I know that Ray is just an L. I could, I guess, spontaneously make an L. But I honestly don't feel like making a new T-shirt out of nothing. I, I made the universe out of nothing in six days. Why should I be asked to make a T-shirt that's already a perfectly good T-shirt that's XXL so it's a little long? He can wear it he can wear it as PJs at night.
3: Maybe Ray has a friend who's really big.
2: Uh, Ray actually does not have any friends.
3: Enjoy your shirt, and that was prayer. No, of the- I'll, do I'll, I'll do it. I'll
2: do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I okay. just, yeah, because you started it, and I just feel like
3: I know. Thank you for letting me
2: start for closure. Me. I yeah, to, I do. will. I will finish the song for you. You go, God. And that was prayer of the week. Prayer
1: of the week.
2: When we come back, my interview with Lucy Lawless. Warrior, yes. Princess, yes. But so, so much more. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up and listening through your app. My guest today is Lucy Lawless, Please welcome to the show, Lucy Lawless Hello Lucy
0: Hi God how are you doing today
2: I'm doing good it's It's great to uh to see you
0: I haven't seen you in years and I've got to say you haven't changed a bit thank
2: you I don't you know you haven't you haven't talked to me in years I know you haven't seen me in years I, I'm not sure <laughs> you, you haven't have- wrote. You haven't written? No, you don't You don't contact me. And I'm not going to hold this against you because you've been good enough to come here today. But it feels to me like you may have some doubts as to my very existence.
0: Well, listen, I see you in print. You pop up on my Twitter feed. So um, uh, I'm agnostic. I, I think you may very well be lurking out there somewhere. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much. That's a lesson for
0: all Definitely of you. Definitely a force for good. A force for good.
2: Oh, that's very sweet. I, I assume you're referring to the Twitter account, and and not the things yeah. I do to actual human beings in terms of killing them, maiming them, destroying them, sending disease to them, and all those those things. I, I like those things, but a lot. I know I know a lot of people when you are when not- you
0: harden your heart. I'm I was always confused about you know the hardening of the heart thing. I know it's Old Testament, and right, you know, as Pharaoh, and it might have been like history is written by the victors, so maybe. You didn't win that one because they were, like, always on about you hardening your heart and doing bad shit and starving people and stuff. But you did have some nifty tricks. The killing of the firstborn was very uncool. I know that you had some helpers on the ground for that one. But I've got to say the masterstroke, apart from, um, like, lice, was frogs. As a child, I was always horrified by the idea of, like, people sweeping up bundles of frogs, dead frogs, all over their balconies, like the picture in the Bible that we had at home.
2: You're referring, of course, if, if you don't get the references to the listeners, that's the 10 plagues. And the great thing about frogs, you're saying was a good one, and I agree. And you can tell it was good because oh. Paul Thomas Anderson stole it for the end of Magnolia.
0: Right. Which has been explained by you know science. I think science is a wonderful thing because it's um, our attempt to understand your uh, workings. So that's why I think science is a, a really terrific pursuit, because eh. that's why you gave us brains, right?
2: Science, to me, is a dumb guy's attempt to compensate for a lack of faith. That That's what it is to me. To me, like, <laughs> if you're not smart enough to have blind faith in me, then you turn to science.
0: Right. Well, yeah, blind faith. There's no, no room for blind faith in the scientific method. But- I have a lot of faith in science, so I'm confused by this paradox. The scientific method is about me. as
2: effective as the rhythm method. It's it's not. It's those are not effective. <laughs> Which methods. you
0: prefer, right? Uh,
2: uh, I prefer just yeah. I prefer no birth control at all. I prefer endless children draining the planet of its resources until the whole thing is just sucked dry. That's
0: oh well, Mazel Tov, God. Thank you. We're, we're nearly there. Hey, um. Level with me. Yeah, sure. How do you feel, in all God's truth, about Moroni? Ah, uh, Be honest.
2: Moroni, again, you're, it's a deep cut for a lot of people. I'm going to have to explain that. Moroni is the lead prophet in the Book of Mormon. Not the musical, which is hilarious, but the book, which is also hilarious. And Moroni was the lead prophet in there. And for those of you who don't know what the Book of Mormon actually is... It is uh, the revelation that after Jesus' death, Jesus came to and visited the Western Hemisphere, stopped by North America, and there was a whole series of wars and battles between various factions and tribes in North America. It's, it's, a, it's another testament of Jesus Christ. And what I think about Moroni was, he was the only Mormon of all the Mormon's past and present, for whom I can understand why polygamy was an option, because he was hot. He was Beautiful. a hot, hot guy. Chicks could not get enough of him. Mar- Hotter than our... Jesus, who was really pretty hot. Yeah, but but Jesus kept it to himself. You know, Jesus kept it in his in his tunic, and he never had that strong a desire for anything like that. But uh, Maura and I, he really, really liked... The ladies, the ladies liked him. So he had about eighty-seven wives by the time he he passed away.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. Is that true? Well you said it, so I don't question it. Sorry, sorry. That's how rude of me to ask God. It's absolutely it's as
2: true as the book of Mormon itself is, Lucy. How much truer can it get?
0: (laughs) How much truer can it get? Why did you give him a joke name? Moroni? Because it's moron with an eye? Yeah. Why did you give him a joke name? Because
2: It wasn't a joke name at the time. I didn't foresee that moron would become one of the leading epithets of choice among English-speaking people.
0: You didn't think it through.
2: There's a lot of things I didn't think. Humankind in general is a thing I did not think through. I, humankind is a thing in general that I don't want to say I regret, But I should have given it more thought. I certainly should have put more than six days into creation. That seventh day, I probably got a little lazy. and I punched drunk. I got punched drunk and I rested on my laurels and that was a mistake. And I feel bad about that.
0: You went, "Uh, there you go. Be man. Yeah. We're
2: not here to talk about me, Lucy. I, I don't need promotion. I have churches. I have synagogues. I have mosques. We're here to talk about you and... By the way, you're you're in uh, you're in New Zealand right now, right?
0: I am. I'm in beautiful New Zealand on the last day of our lockdown. In fact, lockdown ended t- this morning, so I haven't been out of the house in a little while. But um, nothing like my friends in LA who haven't been out of their house since March last year. I, we worry about America very much.
2: Yeah, America is in trouble, but I certainly wouldn't worry about it. Whatever happens to America, I think I think we all know it has it coming. But you live in a wonderful place, New Zealand, and. I'm so fascinated by New Zealand because I've got, I'm omniscient, I'm omnipotent, et cetera, et cetera. But I live and hover and float over the North Pole. So the equator prevents me from really seeing what's happening down there. So I don't really, I've, I've heard a lot of good things. I've heard uh, your prime minister is a really cool woman. I've heard it's a beautiful place. I certainly created it. Apparently they made those uh, those blasphemous pagan films down there, the one where God is all concerned about jewelry and not about, you know, sinning. But I've heard lovely
0: things. Do you enjoy New Zealand? I do very much, though I just moved back to America um, in October before COVID, and um, I felt pretty sure the pandemic was going to um, hit big, and I thought I cannot be a burden to my friends. I should go home where I have a a broader base of support and um, because I was living the life. In fact, we were in Vegas and I went and did interviews. I put them on Twitter. I went and was gathering my impressions of life in Vegas with the oncoming pandemic and how in certain casinos, people were very loose and didn't give a shit, you know, and they were all over one another. And there'd be those guys and girls in in showgirl kind of clothing were covered in oil and people were just slutting all over them for photographs. And I just thought, you are a fucking super spreader. Turned out not to be true. Actually, Vegas didn't suffer at that time as much, as badly as, um, you know, New York. And it did a slow burn in Vegas. I'm not sure how it is now. But I also went through the lobby of the Trump Hotel because I was like really curious what the atmosphere there would be like. Because in the wind and those kind of high end places, it was pretty stringent pretty quickly. They were social distancing. The the clientele left for the most part um, and there was sanitizer everywhere. But at the Trump Hotel, the mood was so different. It was like there was no pandemic that like Jesus slash Trump, uh, sorry to confuse your son and and Trump, but that was the atmosphere I I got, had it. In his hands, and there was not going to be a problem. It was it was just uh, business as usual, and they were partying. They were fully marged up, and um, a completely different atmosphere there. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I was basically I was having a great time, um, and then I just thought this is this is not the place that I should be sick. <laughs> if I'm going to be sick, I should be sick where I have um, you know family and friends. And, but New
2: Zealand has had it fairly, relatively easy in terms of the number of yeah. casualties and the effect it's had, partly because it's two islands, which helps.
0: Well, it's it's right. We're not a contiguous landmass where you've got a lot of traffic in and out. But also our government shut down, quote unquote, early and hard. So um, there was a lot of, but the economy, people saying, how could you do this to the economy? But um, they said, we don't care. We think on, on the balance of evidence that, that um, this is the only strategy we have. We have a tiny tax base. We've got a tiny medical system. We cannot afford, nor nor can anyone, it turns out, um, to be put under that kind of pressure. And uh, what we found by locking down early and hard is that health outcomes for across the board went up, that um, far less people died of, regular flu or far less people die, you know, the transmission of any kind of virus obviously went down and um, people got to, to um, get their operations. They got stepped up in terms of, you know, if you had an elective surgery or a um, you were on a waiting list for a necessary surgery, you got moved up the list because hospital resources were not being funnelled to COVID. Just health outcomes across the board for every human um, ailment We're better. So it helps in every possible way to lock down.
2: But it also helps in every possible way to not have a substantial percentage of your population respond to a request to basic health concern and and restriction with, you are trying to shut down my liberty, damn you, damn you, damn you.
0: Uh, Yeah, that rugged individualism, that don't tell me what to do thing, the um, take my guns from my cold dead hands thing, is um, I don't know where that started, but I certainly, I'm sure that all that crazy red scare and stuff of the, um, I guess it started in the 20s and 30s, you know, that fear of communism and um, socialism and everything didn't help because guess what? I mean, communism was different in every country. Cuban communism was different to, Russian communism was different to, Czech was different though that was heavily influenced obviously by russian um uh is different to vietnamese it, it's it's not blanket communism um that you, or socialism that you're talking about because i tell you what socialism in new zealand has been pretty bloody good like your average person you anybody everybody goes to the same hospital everybody gets taken care of in the same order the problem is is that we're so small so we don't have the same things that are available to wealthy people or people with insurance in America, but everybody on some base level gets free, unquestioned healthcare as they need it. And there's no stress around that. Whereas the stress on your average person in America is so horrendous just to keep up with the insurance. And I don't know. I think that insurance industry has a lot to answer for keeping things really inflated to pay for its own bloody middleman status.
2: Well, I certainly hear what you're saying about the success of socialism, not only in New Zealand, but in the Scandinavian countries, other countries like that. How would you respond to American critics who hear your argument and respond by saying, but communism, fuck you?
0: I don't know. Maybe they should just try it before they um, decry it.
2: Yes, well, we're-
0: No, no, no. You know what? Bugger all that. It's It's not about politics. It's not about labels. It's just about giving a shit about your fellow man. And um, we are our brother's keeper and we have to look out for the the little guy, you know, that just have a heart. Why would you want to stop somebody getting health care? How does that benefit you? I think that's the problem. They think everything's a zero sum game that if I'm paying my taxes and that lazy bastard gets it, you know, people are uncomfortable with that and they hate that because they feel that they're losing if somebody else is gaining. But actually, Everybody can gain at the same time, but uh, it just takes a new frame of reference.
2: I believe that's uh, accurate. I think that's true.
0: I know in yes. Denmark, right, they paid like the highest taxes in the world, but across the board, they're a happier nation. And you've got to kind of go, now, why is that? Because everybody's kids are safer. Everybody's kids are safer. Period.
2: I would imagine it has to do with the collective slash individual reduction of one's own ego vis-a-vis the desire for the society in general to be one of happiness and contentment.
0: The individual feels that they're building a bulwark against death, you know, the more I can accrue and the bigger a house and the more cars and stuff as if that makes me safer. So I believe it's an underlying insecurity that makes us want to consume and consume and consume.
2: You've done a lot of acting over 30 plus years. I want to I want to mention a role you've had that I think many people might have forgotten about, but I think it's very interesting. You were once in a part called Xena. Warrior <laughs> Princess. can you can you tell people yes. just remind people because this is a deep cut, but what was Xena Warrior Princess? And why should I, I, because I think it's I think it's a show that people should look up of, of yours. I think if people are a fan of yours, that's probably one of yours that they should research. Tell us about Xenowarra, your princess.
0: Okay, well, she was a shit-kicking warrior woman who decided she never wanted to get married and have babies, though she did pop out one sprog at at one time, sort of, oops, (laughs) didn't mean for that to happen. And she fought gods and demons, and she had a sidekick called Gabrielle, who was, I think we settled on in the end, her lover. And uh, though she did have two... Black boyfriends and uh, at least one white boyfriend. Um, She did have sex with uh, Julius Caesar, I think, or Mark Anthony. Who can remember? So many lovers so long ago. But uh, she met a lot of historical figures and sometimes killed them. Because they were naughty. So she was on the side of right, ultimately.
2: There's no need to apologize or defend yourself, Lucy. I I, I agree with you. you. You had to kill them. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a problem with killing people. Right. Okay. Well. well Please, it's fine. Actually,
0: but this was um, pre-Judeo-Christian. So how do you feel about that? This was, this was, you know, Greek gods.
2: I feel about that like there's no such thing as pre-Judeo-Christian <laughs> Ms. Lucy Lawless.
0: <laughs> My mistake.
2: And I like you, so I'm not going to press that point. not going to smite me. I'm not going to smite you because, again, I I like you and I know you're coming from a good place, (laughs) but you're just very, very wrong. Now, in the 90s on television, there were two great, entertaining, ambiguously gay duos. One was the ambiguously gay duo, and the other one, as you mentioned, was you and Gabrielle. I've had a lot of experience with people coming out. As as gay or lesbian, and I've, I've seen that happen, and I fully support gay and lesbian rights. Anybody who thinks that I don't is a, is a jag-off. But talk about your experience coming out as a fictional gay character.
0: Okay, well, there's a meta aspect to this because I, as an actress, was standing on the uh, side of set with my co-star, Renee, who played Gabrielle, and we were reading... A fax, a big, long, curly fax in those days. This would have been 1995, end of, maybe. And we were reading this big, long article that was written by, I think, Michael Musto of the Greenwich Village Voice. It was hailing the characters as gay icons. And we discovered we were gay icons in that moment. So I kind of think that the community made that happen. There were, it was given all the um, building blocks for that that take on things by our writers and producers, they knew. It's just Renee and I didn't know. We just thought we had this great gig and we were going to act like these two ass-kicking chicks, and that was enough for us, and we discovered that. And they made it cool. They, they The gay and lesbian community made Xena hip, cool, edgy first. So I have always felt very grateful to them and felt felt a lot of responsibility to to honor that.
2: I think they noticed it was hip cool edgy cool first. I think it it was well, it was, it was before you, that, but hurt. they noticed it
0: first. <laughs> maybe. Maybe or you know I mean Liz Friedman um one of our writers and producers she uh she is a gay woman and she totally you know knew and even I'm sure she said it to me. I just it just didn't find purchase in my brain. I didn't sort of care one way or another. It didn't seem to be important, just like it doesn't matter if you're a firefighter if you who you go home to at night. We were just doing the job, you know. So she knew. Rob, the man who would later become my husband, totally knew. And R.J. Stewart, the head writer and showrunner, he absolutely knew. So um, I guess it was just that the studio at that time might have shied away from it. So there was a... The reason to keep it quiet was probably more about that than... Um, Keeping it from us, because the you know a lot of the audience also it's not relevant to them, so they wouldn't have wanted to see that, and they chose not to because Renee went back to Texas and her holidays and said you know because doing the uh, show that has um, resonance in the gay community because you know the subtext and they'd go wait what 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 gay subtext what do you what subtext <laughs> you know <laughs> and she realized she was the one who came back and go oh they don't see it at all I went. Well, that's that's the world. And
2: the character debuted not on the show itself, but it was sort kind of a spinoff show from Hercules. Zena right. was a character who appeared on three episodes of Hercules. Right. And what I find so fascinating is that from that show, you have since proven yourself to be one of the coolest people on the planet.
0: Depending on who you ask.
2: No, I, <laughs> I'm i asking myself. I'm God, and I think i are one of the coolest people on the planet. Mm. And uh, Kevin Sorbo has proved himself to be uh, quite the dishback, quite the asshole, quite the uh, fuckface. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Well, I haven't talked to him for years, and um, it well predated uh, any of the stuff of his liking for Trump or any of that stuff, that um, Kevin's um, beliefs well predated that. So that's why we are no longer in contact, because I like... um, (laughs) Groups of people that perhaps he's not so supportive of so and I don't know where that came from. he really wasn't like that when i um knew him not at all
2: so he he was a he was a decent fellow to work with at the time
0: he was all right you know he was he was just a you know a big jock and he but i think he was really good in that role he was good in that role he was the you know the all good sort of hero, and I think that suited him and um I played the dark hero who um it's more more of a personal heroism of um, somebody trying to overcome their own worst instincts, which um, probably resonates with me um, better than, you know, I couldn't be the Hercules kind of character anyway. So I got the what a very interesting role.
2: What I'm hearing is that you recognize he's, uh, he's an asshat and you feel that he's an asshat as well. You're not going to say he's an asshat because you're a classy woman in a way that I am not a classy god. But what I'm hearing <laughs> in so many words... Or so many lack of words, is that Kevin Sorbo is a uh, douchebag? By the way, have you seen his uh, his movies? Like, wh- why is it the people who love me, such as Kevin Sorbo, such as Kirk Cameron, make such unbelievably shitty entertainment? Is there a connection to those two things, in your opinion?
0: I haven't seen any of those things actually, and but that's an interesting idea. It shouldn't be like it needn't be so i don't think what's interesting in um any kind of film and documentary any character is the chiaroscuro it's always the sacred and the profane because we are a mixture of these things and if you're denying that saying that you can leave all your scuro behind and come to the light then what's to relate to who who cares and and um uh I don't know, it's weird. It seems to me that um and you and I talked about this once in prayer about why Catholics make such great horror. <laughs> you've got to admit the dark to um make something that affects people. You've got to um, you've got to portray it, you've got to embody it and not pretend that you're some narrow sliver of a human being to appear perfect. I think it must be terrifying living that way. It must be really stressful to be trying to appear as some icon, some paradigm, because You're denying your humanity, right? And then um, trying to keep up the persona, keep up the lie, you're going to fall off. You can't outrun your humanity.
2: Stick around because when we get back, Lucy gets lawless sir. No, that should be more lawless. Just go to the commercials. Lucy, I want to ask you, you've been to a lot of uh, conventions about Xena, people love you, the fans come up to you, You know they're very happy to see you, they want autographs, et cetera. And I have a similar experience happen to me every uh, Sunday at church or five times a day at mosque or every Shabbos uh, in the synagogue where people come up to me and say, you're great and we love you and we can't get enough of you and please love us. My impression of my fans... Is that they're a bunch of stupid suckasses who I have no respect for and who should all go away. Is that your impression of your fans, Lucy? Well,
0: I have a different relationship because um, I guess I consider myself one of them and um, I love them and they're vulnerable in that moment. When I was a certain age, I went up to a famous New Zealand actor uh, and Sam Neill, and said, "I have had such a crush on you since I saw my brilliant career when I was thirteen or something." And he was so taken aback by—I don't know why—because he's such a cool guy, and real, I know him now. You know, but I, he was so sort of shriveled up into his own asshole. And I was like, "When I get famous, I'm never going to do that to somebody because when you are expressing such an open-hearted." love for somebody in their work. The last thing you need is someone to come down with a cosh or a sock full of pennies and whack you over the head with it and shame you. So um, that's what's affected my relationship to the fans, that I know that their hearts are wide open at that moment and um, don't hurt them. See,
2: that's fascinating because to me, the whole point of being famous is to be a jerk to people. That's why I love my job. Like That's the best thing about being God is is being able to just sort of literally lord it over people. But that's where we differ, Lucy, and that's why you're so great. Let's change the subject a little bit. Both of us love musical theater. I don't think people realize that. I love all of it. I love Les Miz. I love all of Sondheim. He's the best. But you, quickly after the debut of Xena, you made your Broadway debut as Betty in Grease. I'm um, no.
0: Oh, Betty Rizzo. Yeah. Her name was Betty, was it? Y- yeah,
2: Betty Rizzo. I've forgotten that. Yes. Uh, well yeah. I have got I, I can't. Got that. Her, oh, you're a purist. Minute, but it's Betty Rizzo. And she of course sang the immortal look at me I'm Sandra D. That's a fantastic song.
0: Yeah. I couldn't not I couldn't not do it, you know. It was pretty terrifying, pretty outside my um Oh, wheelhouse, yeah, maybe outside the my wheelhouse. I hadn't done musicals since school, but I was like, i made every decision in my life based on what's going to make me a really happy old woman. I don't want to be like going, coulda, woulda, shoulda, like that's not an option. Doing things that terrify me is, I, I always say yes, even though I'm I'm not qualified. Even if I embarrass myself horribly and that does happen, I kind of don't care because I just want this sensation of having done it. So it's almost like... um. Pass fail is immaterial because it's just so that frisson of flying by the city of your pants is so seductive to me that I can't say no. Your
2: modesty and your use of French words like frisson is so endearing. But the truth is, Aww. you were awesome in that show, and you and you kicked ass as you do in everything you do in life as a general rule. Okay,
0: okay. I'm supposed to be flattering you. Like you're making me a rude face now. Or maybe I'm no, standing. Flattering me computer. is
2: for shit. Everyone does that. I don't care about people flattering. <laughs> I mean, I don't it means nothing I always to thought me. About- I'm God. I don't care what people flatter me, but it's my pleasure to have someone on that I can talk to and and, and flatter. And I'm not done yet because I want to talk to you also about something that's dear to my heart, which is you are involved in Greenpeace, which is a, a, a wonderful cause that is designed to save the planet that for some reason I created to be administered by you and your fellow human beings. And again, another mistake. There are a handful of people who are fighting for the good and you are one of them. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement with with Greenpeace?
0: I joined up with them when um, the French government came into New Zealand, sent frogmen into New Zealand waters just down the road from my house in Auckland Harbour to um, place a sort of limpet mine on the side of a Greenpeace ship that was protesting nuclear, French nuclear testing in the South Pacific and raining ash and, um, you know, radioactive waste down on the people of those islands. And um, it blew up the ship one evening and um, the photographer was on board doing a bit of work. Everybody else was had gone to um, gone ashore and killed him. Fernando Pereira was his name and um, they took off and were apprehended by uh, my neighbor who were, we had police flats next door, my neighbor who was a detective at the time who uh, because in New Zealand you can't go anywhere without the Bush Telegraph, you know all these farmers going. Oh, ringing up, going. Oh, Elsie, I saw a sort of strange car going by. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. And they would ring ahead and tell the policeman and say, Whangarei, which is a northern small town, small city. And uh, they were apprehended by just good old Kiwi cops and um, and New Zealanders who, when they gang up on somebody, they will get you. Anyway, I joined Greenpeace after that, and as a supporter and they asked me to get involved in some real climate action in the some in the arctic and some here in new zealand where we got arrested and we'd occupied a drill ship that was going to the arctic to drill and it was just a it's a death trap b it's a horrible idea c oil is a thing of the past it's not a, um and it's and it's killing us so um And we can't even burn what we've already got above ground. So uh, we were protesting that. So we got arrested and spent a day in jail and um, quite a bit of community service, which I worked off in an old folks' home. Uh, (laughs)
2: Oh, boy. I'm seeing my uh, delightful sidekick, uh, Joan of Arc.
0: Oh, Joan, c'est un honneur à faire votre connaissance. Oh, achante, achante. (laughs) Non, vraiment. (laughs) Let's speak English. Okay,
3: okay, I'll be serious. I'll be serious, my love. That's why
2: we speak in heaven.
0: Joan, thank you, thank you for my career, Joan.
3: Oh, we have so much in common.
2: (laughs) Okay, okay, before before becomes (laughs) a love fest. Before no stop. Before it becomes a love fest. um, I just want to caution again that this is my podcast. This is my interview. It's It's called Godcast. It's not not the Joan of Arc cast. It, exactly, exactly. He's so, always so, reminds me so, of So don't, don't commandeer this, but I understand there's a simpatico between you and the guest. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You may start now, Joan.
3: Thank you, my lord. Just between us warriors, I just thought we could... Uh, listen, I know that Xena has not been sainted yet, but do you have hopes for that? Like, I was sainted, and it's it's pretty cool.
0: What are the advantages? Well... Immunity... Restaurants, what?
3: I get like half off Lakers tickets. So, I mean, and even just having that Saint after your name, it just feels good. Right, right. But hopefully, one day.
0: Just between us, um, I do actually look for a Saint. A Saint. We're talking about Saint Zeno here, not Saint Lucy Lawless, right?
3: Uh, well, it could be a slash. We could, we could do a hyphen it. I mean, listen, he's right here. You might as well ask.
0: No chance
2: on. Lu- I love you, Lucy, but. You're not a saint, but your character is not... There's a non-zero chance, but this is a good time to make your case.
3: That's all I'm saying. Okay, so in in the year 2021, people think it's odd that I am still walking around in my full armor. But as somebody who wore the armor, you know, the gauntlets, the cuisses, the the greaves, the vambrays, do you ever wish that you could just wear that again and feel that power?
0: Are you kidding? I am feel so powerful in a muumuu. I I wear nothing but elasticated waists and like harem pants these days. I was really glad to get rid of that. I admire your uh, stickability because uh, jolly uncomfortable, especially that. Um, what were you? Were you twelfth century? What what year was Joan of Arc? Were you kicking around the
3: fifteenth 15th century? Fifteenth. 15th. I, I mean, I have, and I still wear the.
0: I see that. I, I see mean, that. It's
3: it's just getting into the studio as a process. So so you don't miss that at all?
0: I really don't. I remember not being able to breathe because I hadn't got the boning right. The first time having a full-on panic attack and um, uh, having to get them to take it away and work on the um, the boning. So, yeah, I, I don't know how you could stand that. It's really hardcore, that, that uh, full sort of chainmail kind of armor. That
3: was part of what helped with the sainthood, so...
0: Was so it a bit like a, a dumpster fire, time. you know, when you're burning inside all that metal?
3: I'm a literal dumpster fire.
2: <laughs> so much of of armor that was made in reality in the Middle Ages in Europe was made to protect the body and shield it from injury rather than the armor that you had, Lucy, which to me I I felt was designed to highlight your cleavage.
0: You're right, because they would have got it was just a big old target, wasn't it? Yeah, you know what? We didn't think that through, but you know, it was nineties television, so you had to really it was it was the shock and awe element we were going for.
2: I, I think people were shocked and awed, yeah. It worked.
0: Now, Joan, I have to thank you because um when we were selling the show at NatP P in those days, um the Frenchman said, We will never accept a female action hero in France. Never, never. And we were like, shut up, it's a country of Joan of Arc, you fool. And um, sure enough, it became a big hit. So thanks.
3: Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, because well,
0: um, I love France. And that chap was just being a fool.
3: And France loves you.
0: Nah. Merci.
2: Well, that's not all the time we have. I actually have all the time in the world. But I'm choosing to end the interview right now. Thank you for coming by. Lucy Lawless, everybody.
0: Yes! Good night, everybody.
2: Well, that's our show. I want to thank our guest, Lucy Lawless, who was as wonderful as I would have predicted and, in fact, did predict. Joan, she was quite something, wasn't she?
1: Oh, yeah. What a hero.
2: I, Jesus, I assume you enjoyed uh, Lucy as well?
1: She's, uh, yeah, Lucy, she's the queen of the lesbians. Uh, that, when that <laughs> oh, stop
2: was... crying, Joan. I know he talks beautifully, <laughs> but you don't have to cry every time Jesus says something of profound wisdom.
3: We're so blessed just to hear him speak.
2: I know. Yes, I know. He's... Knock it off, knock it off. I'm, okay. yeah, I'm okay. God, I'm not I'm I'm the chopped liver here as well. You know, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm the dad, I'm the original. So yes, just because he has a nice speaking voice. Okay. Thank you. On behalf of myself and Joan and Jesus and the Holy Ghost who's somewhere around here. He might be in the bathroom, I'm not sure. Good night, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> stop, stop.
3: Godcast is a Forever Dog production. Audio production and engineering by Left-Handed Radio. Executive produced by Alex Ramsey, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and David Javerbaum. Original music by Gabe Lopez. Joan of Arc appears courtesy of Tara Sands. For more original podcasts, visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus content from this show and others, sign up for Forever Dog Plus. At podcasts dot com slash plus, and if you haven't already, remember to follow God on Twitter at the Tweet of God.
1: Forever dog.